Chapter 28 of Zafloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anthony Gerges from the Tide Pod Podcast. Zafloya by Charlotte Dacker. Enriquez awakened in the fond hope of beholding her whose lovely image had visited him in his dreams. He hastened to a certain part of the wood, the most open and cheerful, where, as frequent, he expected to find her, for Lilla sometimes inhaled the pure breeze from the mountains at an early hour of the morning. For some time he traversed this favorite spot with patience, conceiving it possible that yielding longer than usual to sleep, she had not yet arisen. Yet the morning was already so far advanced that every moment rendered this idea more improbable. He determined, therefore, to return into the house. Still he beheld no sign of her soul adorned. Impatiently he summoned a female servant, and ordered her to repair to the chamber of the Signora Lilla to awaken her and inform her of the lateness of the hour. What alarm, then, must have seized him when the servant, returning, informed him that the bed of the young signora was vacant, and appeared to have been so for some time, but that her clothes remained upon the chair beside it, where they seemed to have been cast on the preceding night. Enriquez, naturally impetuous, made no remark, but springing from his seat, rushed past the servant and flew wildly into her chamber, where failing indeed to behold her with frantic impatience, he searched every part of the castle that was habitable, it is needless to say, in vain. Regardless at length of everything but his lost love, the door of Victoria's chamber meeting his view, he burst it with the strength of madness open and rushed into her apartment. The artful Victoria, fully prepared for the scene she expected to ensue, had retired to her bed on returning from the dreadful deed of the early morning, and as Enriquez forced himself into her chamber, appeared to start up alarmed as if suddenly aroused from a peaceful slumber. Enriquez, regardless of her seeming terror or surprise, flew towards the bed, scarce knowing what he did, and seized her by the arm, exclaimed in a frantic voice, My Lilla is missing! Tell me! Tell me, I implore thee, where she is. Lilla missing, answered Victoria with assumed surprise. Impossible, senor. But observing the air with which Enriquez regarded her, she added, Yet if it be so, would I could indeed inform you where to seek her. Oh, I shall die mad with agony, cried Enriquez, if my Lilla be not found. Retire a moment then, Signor Enriquez, in sympathizing accents, said Victoria. I will arise and dress myself, and together we will seek our beloved little friend. Perceiving the despair and anguish of Enriquez painted in his eyes, she continued, Be pacified, I entreat you, and rest assured the fair girl cannot be far distant. Enriquez, striking his hand upon his forehead, darted out of the room, and Victoria, hastily rising and dressing herself, followed him into the apartment where they usually assembled. She proposed to the distracted lover that they should seek Lilla together. Again, every corner of the castle was searched. Again, the forest was inspected and resounded to the name of Lilla. 
In vain, in voice of agony, Enriquez called upon that name. The lovely, innocent, naked, chained, and solitary was far, far beyond the possibility of replying. Once more, they now entered her chamber. The clothes she had worn on the preceding day remained untouched upon the spot where she appeared, upon taking them off to have cast them. The bedclothes seemed dragged on one side and lay partly upon the floor. In one place, the curtains were twisted and torn, and the net which was supposed to have encircled her head at night lay likewise upon the ground near the door as though it had fallen off. Upon this more accurate examination, the despair of Enriquez knew no bounds. It appeared as if his innocent love had been torn defenseless from her bed. The terrible idea wound his mind to a pitch of dreadful anguish, and scarcely knowing what he did, he darted like lightning from the house, determined to explore the inmost recesses of the wood, and even to traverse the very mountains in search of her. After a lapse of many hours, towards the close of the evening, he returned, unable to give the smallest account of where he had been wandering, and with a raging fever burning in his veins. Scarce had he power, distracted as he was, to ask if tidings of his Lilla had arrived yet. Ere confirmed by a dreadful negative, in his despair he fell senseless upon the earth. He was immediately conveyed to bed by order of Victoria. Wild delirium seized his brain. His ravings and frantic struggles to escape from those who surrounded him were dreadful to hear and to behold. For three weeks his life was despaired of and the frenzy which possessed him scarcely left hopes that even if it were spared, his mind could ever recover its former sanity. Meanwhile, the poor Lilla, the guiltless cause of so much havoc, continued to linger in her dreadful confinement. The Moors of Floya attended her with undeviating punctuality, furnished her with provisions and a mantle of leopard skin to preserve her in some degree from the flinty hardness of the ground and on which too often she was, in her own despite, compelled to stretch her tender limbs. Yet in this pitiable situation she lived, and still cherished faint hope in her spotless bosom, that time would end her miseries, and restore her to the world, and to him she fondly adored. Sometimes she trusted to soften the impenetrable moor, but hopes of that soon faded from her heart when he appeared. For though he brought her food, he never uttered a single sentence. And if by chance his eyes met hers, the gloomy fierceness of its expression damped the assumed courage of her innocent soul, and the little resolution she might have acquired in his absence. Faint drawings of reason and reanimated life began at length to reveal themselves in the unhappy Enriquez. During the whole of his illness, Victoria had never quitted his apartment, administering to him with her own hands every medicine that was prescribed, and sleeping by night with one of her attendants in his chamber. When the powers of his mind became sufficiently restored to recognize surrounding objects, her attentions, if possible, redoubled, and could Enriquez have divested himself of the unconquerable disgust with which he viewed her? Her singular tenderness and care towards him must have excited in him the utmost gratitude and regard. But vain was her solicitude, rather painful than pleasing to him, and the moment in which his wretched mind felt most relief from intolerable anguish 
were those few in which she was absent from him. But his coldness and repugnance was either unperceived or unheeded by Victoria. She became daily more passionately tender, more undisguised in her manner towards him, and this as well involuntarily as the previous decision of her mind. Gloomy melancholy and perpetual abstraction still, however, possessed the unfortunate Henriquez when conceiving that she advanced too slowly, by simply paying the attentions of friendship she understood at least to Enriquez, she resolved once more gently to probe the present situation of his heart respecting her, for presumptuously she flattered herself that her complete devotion to him throughout a long and dangerous malady must in some degrees have impressed him in her favor. One evening, when she was sitting in his apartment with the silent meditative Enriquez, he, feeling an anxious wish to indulge in solitude the luxury of his grief, gently through with perfect coolness observed to her, I do not desire, Signora, thus to be a tax upon your time and your friendship. I pray you now that I am so far convalescent to be less punctilious in your attentions toward me, and use some recreation to relieve your mind determined to let no opportunity pass for touching upon the subject nearest her heart, Victoria replied in a voice of tender reproach, Cruel Enriquez, it is thus, is it thus you address one who lives but in your presence? Forbear, at least forbear to taunt a heart that loves as, Signora, with agitation interrupted Enriquez, is this a time, is this a subject, I thought it was never more to be renewed. I can forbear no longer, exclaimed Victoria, throwing herself at his feet. Oh, Enriquez, I love, I adore you to madness. If you have a spark of feeling, of compassion in your soul, reject me not, but pity a wretch who feels it impossible to overcome her fatal passion. Enriquez knew not how to reply for he felt that local circumstances made gratitude due to Victoria. Yet her present base avowal, doubly infamous at such a time, her abject prostration at his feet, excited anew all the gale of his bosom against her, and, spite of every consideration, he found it impossible to treat her with softness. For a few moments then he remained in painful silence, but his determination to crush at once those hopes his anguished heart told him he could never realize, shocked too at the cruel indelicacy that so early could attempt to obliterate from his mind all traces of his first and only love. He attempted with impatient gesture to raise her from the ground, finding, however, that with still existing feebleness he was incapable of doing so, he said, Signora, I entreat you to rise from your unworthy situation. Till then, I cannot say anything. Victoria, in violent agitation, arose. Signora, then pursued Enriquez, my heart is still smarting with agony in the never-to-be-forgotten affliction of having lost the only being for whom I ever considered life desirable. I feel, Signora, that the anguish of that heart will not long endure, for though my body becomes sane, my feelings convince me that the wound I have received no time can heal, 
and that I shall expire. God grant it soon of a broken heart. This alone, Signora, you might deem a sufficient reply to the confession with which you have just honored me. But that I may not, by an undue warmth of expression, leave the shadow of a doubt upon your mind respecting my cooler feelings or my unchangeable sentiments. Let me at once add that were circumstances even different from what they are, were my soul even unattached to the pure heavenly memory of my lost Lilla, had I never known her to become attached still, Signora, the present feelings of my heart towards you convince me that even then I could have never returned your flattering partiality. I feel that we are dissimilar in every aspect, nay more, whether from a fault of my nature I know not, but I feel likewise that I could sooner poignard myself, he added with an increased elevation of voice, that bring myself to entertain for you the slightest sentiments of tenderness. "'Tis well,' cried Victoria, in accents scarcely articulate. "'Ungrateful Enriquez, you are indeed explicit. Farewell. I will no longer pain you with my present, yet ere I go, call to mind that your Lilla still mourned for is no more. "'But her memory still lives, still triumphs in my bleeding heart,' cried the agonized Enriquez starting from his seat and wildly clasping his emaciated hand, when, overcome by weakness and the conflicting violence of emotions, he could no longer support himself, but fell in anguish on the floor. Victoria, returning, flew towards him and, raising him in her arms, laid her head upon his bosom. Ah, she cried with the bitter smile of disappointed pride and passion passing over her features. Ah, stubborn, relentless Enriquez, thou shalt yet be mine, though death were the consequence. Death, death will be the consequence, cried the half-frantic Enriquez, who had caught her last words, and perceiving that his head reclined upon her bosom, started hastily from the floor, as though he felt the sting of a scorpion. Victoria, fearful of returning delirium, spoke no more. But assisting him against his will to rise, led him to the side of his bed and left him to himself. With perturbed and gloomy spirits, mechanically, she bent her steps towards the forest. It was late in the evening, the sky was overcast with black heavy clouds, but unheeding she pursued her way. The thunder now rattled over her head, and the blue lightning flashed across her path. Her mind, however, too engaged in its internal warfare, regarded not the warning of the elements, and external circumstances had rarely power to affect her stubborn mind. Ah, what means can I pursue, she cried aloud, certain that no one was nigh. How satisfy my destroying passion? Shall all I have done be in vain then, and the sole object of my ardent wishes, the goal of my hopes, elude at last my wild pursuit? No, no, it must not be. Yet that he were mine, at last, I would not hesitate to plunge my soul in deepest perdition, fix his sake. For without him I cannot live. This world would be to me an earthly purgatory. As a floya, why art thou not here to offer thy assistance and advice? Surely thou wilt not forsake me at this period, when mote I need thy aid. Or perhaps even thou art powerless to assist me in this. As she uttered those words, a soul-enchanting melody rose gradually in swelling notes upon her ear. She paused to listen. Her mind became calmed and wrapped in attention. She wondered at the magical powers of the invisible musician. 
In a few minutes, it sunk in thrilling cadence and was heard no more. The gloom of Victoria's mind began to return, and angry that any external circumstance should have had the power for a moment to interrupt the despondency of her thoughts, she prepared, disgusted as she was, and not having met with Zafloya, to leave the forest. As she hastily turned, however, suddenly she encountered him. I am glad, Zafloya, to behold thee, she cried. But how camest then here? For till this moment I have not seen thee. I have followed you, Signora, for some time past. And why wouldst thou not overtake me? That I might have had the frequent yet ever new delight, fail Victoria, of hearing myself called upon. Then why didst thou not reveal thyself? You were listening, I believe, to the music, so as it ceased, you turned, and we met. But say, Victoria, how speed your wishes? Alas, miserable wretch that I am, returned Victoria. Much I fear success will never be mine. Enriquez loathes me. This evening only did he formally, finally, and coolly reject me. And his excuse for refusing the loveliest of her sex? Love and ceaseless devotion to the memory of his Lilla. Yet he has insultingly added that had a Lilla never existed, Victoria could have had no power to excite his love. Most insensible idiot, indignantly cried the Moor. He would have loved you, I presume, had you chanced to have resembled Lilla. Ah, would, cried the degenerate Victoria. Would that this unwieldy form could be compressed into the fair delicacy of hers. These bold masculine features assume the likeness of her baby face. Ah, that would I not submit to gain, but one look of love from the pitiless Enriquez. Beautiful Victoria, cried the Moor in a soft, flattering voice. Call not that graceful form unwieldy, nor to those noble and commanding features offer such indignity. Eminent loveliness is yours, could the tasteless Enriquez but believe you, Lilla. He paused, and Victoria fixed her eager searching eyes upon his countenance. When finding that Zafloya did not proceed, she exclaimed, Speak, speak, Zafloya. If you have aught to suggest, withhold it not an instant from me. At this moment, a vivid flash of lightning dividing the skies, Zafloya said, Let us seek, Signora, a more sheltered spot. The storm appears increasing. Oh, heed not the storm, but speak, cried Victoria, if aught you adduce to soothe the despair of my mind. You heed not the lightning, Signora, neither do I. Deign then to answer me. Is it now your firm belief that Enriquez would never grant you his love? Alas, I have said so, replied Victoria in a gloomy accent, and under these circumstances do you still love him, still feel him necessary to your happiness? Sooner than resign all hopes of obtaining him, I would plunge this instant the stiletto in my bosom. Zafloya remained a few moments silent and then resumed. If you could only obtain his love and every mark of unrestrained passion in the delusive belief on his side that you were his betrothed Lilla, would you upon such terms accept... Oh, yes, with joy and delight, interrupted Victoria. Say, but how such blissful delusion could be conveyed into his mind? It grows late, Signora. The storm becomes more violent. Shall I defer till the morrow what further I might say? If you would have me expire at your feet, cried Victoria wildly, attempt to leave me thus unsatisfied in the very midst of the faint hope you have suffered to beam upon my soul. What of the hour? What of the storm? She pursued as the blue lightning conjured trees of fire, and seemed to dance upon the summit of the mountains. 
What even of the dissolution of nature in a moment like this when my soul pants for... Well then, interrupted the moor, noble intrepid Victoria, mark me, for truly do I love and glory in your firm unshrinking spirit. I possess a drug, the peculiar property of which it is not to stupefy the faculties or induce actual insanity, but to cause a sort of temporary delirium upon any particular point optionable with those who shall administer this drug. For instance, a partial mania, as it were, as many that are termed mad, may be perfectly sane upon every subject but the individual one which caused their madness. This drug has a singular power of confusing the mind, and of so far deluding it, that those who take it must inevitably believe that which it is desired to convey in their minds. Thus, those who go mad for love imagine that in every female they see her, who caused their madness, involuntarily pursuing and indulging the conceit which is uppermost in their diseased fancies. You begin, Signora, to obtain some insight into the nature of my plan, the only one that suggests itself at this pressure for the achievement of your love. Allow me to proceed, however. This drug which I give you, being administered to Enriquez, suppose this night, when with a restrained and tranquil tenderness, such as might befit a sister, you give him ere he sleeps some draught of a refreshing or composing nature. During the night, it will have leisure to attain its proposed effect. In the morning on awakening, he will be furious for Lilla, her image having so possessed him during the night that he will be almost incapable of considering it as a mere delusion of a dreamy, in consequence of his possession, strange and uncountable to those around being reported to you, considered by all as a proof of confirming lunacy, you will instantly hasten to his chamber. Scarcely will you have entered ear, flying towards you, he will clasp you with wild fervor in his arms, calling you his adorned, his long-lost Lilla. Victoria, unable any longer to restrain her emotions, threw herself upon her knees and clasped her hands eagerly together. O oh, rapture, O oh, inexpressible bliss, she cried, O oh, moment for which my heart so long has panted. Shall I then at length be clasped voluntarily and ardently, clasped to the bosom of Enriquez? O oh, enfeebled soul, help me to support the reality of this happiness, which now thou tremblest but to think of. Reserve your transports, fair Victoria, reserve them for that moment which I swear to you shall arrive. Meantime arise, and hear me to an end. Enriquez, being fully persuaded that you are his idolized Lilla, will call you by the name of wife, and believe you such, or his mind will be in that state of anarchy and confusion. He will have no conception of time that is past, nor that his marriage, fixed to have been taking place on a given day long since elapsed, has never yet been performed. He will merely be enabled to combine your appearance with your supposed return and feel as though, after suffering for your loss, deep affliction for a certain space of time, you were at length restored to his arms. The elation of his spirits will be great in consequence. His mind will be attuned to love and pleasure, and you must beware of doing aught to thwart or offend him. Indulge him with wine, enliven him with music, let an elegant banquet be prepared, humor his delusion, assume as much as possible the character of Lilla, and of his wife, in all that you do, be collected. Be firm, and love shall be propitious to your wishes.
Once more, and for the last time, Zofloya drew forth the box, the fatal repository of so much mischief. Then placing in the hands of Victoria a small folded paper containing the filcher to which he had alluded, he bade her, with a serious smile, use well her advantages, and without another sentence, turn suddenly away. As he retreated into the thick gloom of the forest, a vivid flash now, and then revealed his swift moving figure to her view, now emerging among the trees, now scaling the pointed rack, and now appearing a figure of fire upon its lofty summit. Victoria, too inebriated with joy at the prospect she beheld of at length, obtaining her dearest wishes, to remark her wonder at the precipitate departure of the moor, thought only of the exquisite happiness he had promised her, and unmindful of the awe-inspiring thunder, unmindful of the red lightning which gleaming round at quick repeated intervals shrewd mountains, rocks, and forests of fire, remained with undefended form, but a heart beating high with a fervor of hope, rooted as it was, to the spot in idolatrous anticipation of future bliss. At length, forcibly rousing herself, she returned to the castle. On her way, she beheld no traces of Zofloya, and concluded, an idea not unfavorable to his character, that he had chosen a night like the present to wander among the mountains. She proceeded, however, and entering the castle, gently approached the chamber of Enriquez, with air humbled and abashed. She presented herself before him, and addressed him in a faltering voice of tender humility. Again, Enriquez became the dupe of her artifice. Again, he regretted his cruel explicitness, and though he could not help feeling for her a certain portion of involuntary disgust, he received her with gentle politeness. She, with well, assumed melancholy softness, but secret exaltation, busied herself in silence, in little orifices about his chamber. These completed and arranged, she proposed to retire for the night. Enriquez, with a graceful bow, as if for her attention, acquiesced in the movement, when Victoria, retreating with an air of mortified resignation towards the door, pretended suddenly to remember that she had not administered to him a certain restorative medicine, with which her own hand she had insisted on presenting to him, every night since his recovery. Hastily returning at the further end of the room, remote from the pensive Enriquez, she prepared his mixture and infused the drug given her by Zafloya. Approaching him then, with hand rendered unsteady from ravishing anticipation of the effects it would produce, she tended it to him. Enriquez felt no inclination for his potion, yet unwilling to dismiss Victoria from him with an aching heart, he took it with a soft thankful smile from her hand, and instantly drank it off. This accomplished so far, with frame still tremulous, and heart wildly beating with the thoughts of the morning. Victoria received back the glass, and bidding him farewell, retired from the chamber. Enriquez, having laid his head upon his pillow, soon fell into a heavy sleep. His mind became gradually disturbed, and the form of Lilla glided in his view. Now, as formerly, he beheld her under the same roof with himself, constituting a part of the family. Now she sat beside him, now rambled with him in the forest, and now bestowed on him her innocent endearments, pure as innocence itself. All night these blissful but deceptive visions haunted his fancy, and when, towards the morning, he awoke, so far was the delusion from vanishing with sleep, that scarce could he restrain himself in his bed, though a confused idea of the earliness of the hour prevented him from arising. Every moment, however, his infatuation increased. He believed that he had been for a long time in a state of mental derangement, 
they had only now recovered his senses, and that the image of Lilla being so deeply impressed upon his mind was owing to his having actually beheld her the day preceding, of which he even thought he entertained a faint recollection. Unable longer to contend with the powerful delusions of his disordered fancy, he started wildly from his bed and flew towards the well-known spot in the forest, where frequently they had been wont to ramble. Loudly he called upon the name of Lilla, till his voice obtaining involuntary latitude, he repeated that dear love name briefly and incessantly, till he panted for breath. Finding at length that his search was in vain, he returned to the castle. Victoria anxiously, upon the watch, heard all his movements. The better to deceive him, she wore a veil of Lilla's, and such parts of her dress as might suit indiscriminately either the one or the other. His conduct had already evinced her how powerfully the filcher was acting, but she deemed it expedient to increase his impatience, that the delusion practiced upon him might be the less liable to detection. She had left her own apartment and now occupied that of the poor victim Lilla. Presently, she heard the distracted lover pacing to and fro from the well-known door he firmly believed to enclose his mistress. This was the moment for Victoria. She threw open the door of the chamber, as if by chance, and came forth, Scarcely was she beheld by Enriquez, or he darted towards her, and seizing her in his arms, exclaimed, Wife of my soul, my beloved, my darling Lilla, have I then at length recovered the pride of my life, the darling of my bosom, her for whom alone existence is worthy of bearing? O oh, my heart's Lilla, speak to me, my love, and tell me whence thou comest, and whither thou hast been. Who can describe the delight of Victoria at this proof of the extravagance of Enriquez? She clearly perceived his distraction to be at the height, and that without fear she might humor the deception. Looking tenderly upon him, she cried, Dearest Enriquez, be composed. I have indeed never departed from thee since the day of our marriage, but dost thou not remember on that eve which should have proved so blissful? Thou wert attacked by sudden malady and conveyed to bed? For nearly three weeks thou wert insensible, nor couldst thou, O oh my love, recognize even thy faithful wife. Although she never quitted thee by night nor day, but no more of the melancholy past, thou knowest me now. Ah, little durst I hope, when sad and heartbroken I retired from thee last night, that this morning would bring with it such happiness. And were thou with me last night, my Lilla? Oh, yes, I know that word, for I recollect. And he pressed his hand upon his burning forehead. Now I recollect. Surely thou hast never once been from me. Yet I thought, I thought fool must I have been, that thou wert not Lilla. But uh, I must indeed have been scarcely ill to mistake that heavenly face. No more, my Enriquez, my husband, cried the artful Victoria. But let this blissful day be dedicated to love and joy. And although we have never in reality been separated, let us celebrate this day as for our restoration to each other. At these words, the heart of the poor Enriquez bounded in his bosom, for his brain was high, rout, fired to frenzy, and madly eager for noisily revelry and delight. He seized the hand of Victoria and pressing it to his lips, cried aloud in a mirthful voice, Let us feast and dance then on this glorious day, my Lilla. Let's have a banquet, let's have music, and cause the mountains to re-echo. Yes, yes, my love, interrupted Victoria, joyfully smiling. We will have a banquet and music, and in these beautiful solitudes we will be the world to each other. 
Ah, spoken like my Lilla, cried Enriquez. If we were in Venice, we should be tortured with guests. Yet do we need no company but that of each other. Thou sayest true. But we must dance then, my Lilla. Yes, he added with a loud laugh. We must dance together, or by heaven I shall die of pent-up bliss. He threw his arm round the waist of the joy-mad Victoria, and in wild sport dragged her rather than led her from the spot. On this day, high beat her heart, her bosom's fierce triumph flashed from her eyes, as she gazed on the devoted youth, and secretly she swore to stow upon Zofloya whatever reward he should desire for thus accomplishing her soul's first wish. At once she gave orders for a sumptuous feast, and delivered that the day should be dedicated, in compliance to the whim of Enriquez, to mirth and revelry. The most delicious viands, the choicest and most intoxicating wines, constituted the banquet, and as she pressed them upon Enriquez, his blood circulated with wilder rapidity, and the delirium of his brain increased. The graceful Zofloya, highly skilled in the science of harmony, and seated at the further end of the banqueting group, retired from others who occasionally joined him, but a host in himself, drew from his harp sounds of such overpowering melody as by turns reduced the soul into the most delicious softness, or excited it with transport even to madness. Now drowned in tender tears, the inspired Enriquez listened with restrained enthusiasm. Now raised to distracting rapture, he leaped from his seat, and a strong emotion found no vent but on the beating bosom of Victoria. Her he pressed eagerly in his arms, and on that treacherous breast shred tears of the wildest transport. In his frenzy he had desired to dance, and Victoria, with the grace of a sylph, flitted in varied movements to the soft music of Zofloya. Enriquez gazed with ravished eyes, but soon, starting up, seized her by the hands and joined with her in the dance, while Zofloya struck a wilder note to the no longer measured footsteps. Till a late hour in the evening, the pleasures of the banquets were protracted, even till the high-wrought spirits of Enriquez becoming less violent, though his delusions still continued in full force, he said, I am weary, beloved Lilla, in this excess of happiness. My mind feels jaded and confused, as though it stood in need of rest to restore its energies. Let us retire then, my life, and in gentle dreams we may retrace the pleasures of the day. End of chapter 28. Recording by Anthony Gerges of the Tide Pod Podcast.